vav zayin het tet yud kaf lamed mem nun samek ayin pesare kuf rash sin shin tav pesare kuf rash sin shin in the darkness of night, as I contemplate the chaos of life, and I felt like I had not the strength to endure the fight, I took my pen and my pad and I began to write. And I wrote a letter to God, and this is what the letter said. This is how the letter read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, this life has treated me hard, has left me battered, bruised, and scarred. Your word says that you're ever-present, but right now... You seem so far, so I humbly ask, how do I mentally maintain and exalt your name when my heart is downcast and it's burdened with pain? Lord, before your throne, I have laid so many of my fears, shed so many of my tears, and these tears have lasted so many of my years. And on the inside, I feel like you don't even hear. And now my faith is lacking spiritually. I'm slacking. Lord, deliver me because I feel like I'm backtracking. Lord, I'm on my knees day in and day out, but my enemy, he never stops attacking. And Satan, yeah, he's like this lion and he viciously roams, wants to consume me, flesh down to my bones. And if I may speak truthful and raw, Lord, I feel like I'm in the mouth of the lion's jaw. Lord, have you heard my cry? Have you heard my plea? Don't you see how the winds and the waves of this world crash against me? Lord, this world has left me mistreated, hurt, used, abused. I'm in pain. I'm crippled and lame. And Lord, you're all powerful. So in a moment, you could have my situation instantly change, but you haven't. And so I'm tempted to cast upon you the blame. But even then, I'm frustrated because I can't bring myself to blaspheme your name Lord, you might as well take away my sight because I can't see the sunshine. I wake up every day. The sky is cloudy and gray. The disappointment of a dream lost, it doesn't easily go away. Lord, as I look at my life, it seems like your hand of mercy and grace has been taken away. Lord, why do you let me go through what I go through when you know pain would be certain to follow? You're all knowing. You already knew. Lord, I'm a pilgrim. I'm on this journey. I'm trying to make progress, but I toss and turn in my sleep. I get no rest. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I have not the strength to endure the test. Lord, have you heard my cry? Have you heard my plea? This is a prayer letter written to you written signed by me <laughs> poetry and song poetry and song many of you may be surprised to know that nearly one-third of the Old Testament is actually poetry and song from those long books such as the book of Isaiah, to the book of love, song of songs, to the book of Job, and to portions interspersed throughout the Torah and the other prophetic literature, poetry and song. The ancient Hebrew and Israeli people would use poetry and song to give voice to their relationship and their experience with God. 
Sometimes they would talk about God through song and ways declaring his victory, such as we see with Miriam after God delivers them from the, peop- the, from the land of Egypt. Uh, she raises a song to the Lord where she says, I shall sing to the Lord and exalt his name for who among the gods is like the Lord. On other occasions, we see uh, psalmists and persons of song talk about the tender nature of God, such as we hear in that very famous Psalm where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Poetry and song. But then there's this whole other category of song and poetry, which is poems of lament. Those are those songs and those poems in which the writers of Scripture, they lay before God the deep hurts and the disappointments that are deep inside of themselves. It's in those songs that we hear the words such as David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Songs of lament. I can imagine that in a room with this number of people, there were many of you that could identify with the words of that poem that came from my own personal journal. Maybe some of you could relate to the somber tone in which I sang the Hebrew alphabet, poetry, and song. This morning, I want to talk about how do we navigate the chaos and the disorientation that life throws our way. You see, those songs of lament, those songs in which the deep resources of the human soul find expression in words of pain and anguish, they reflect those trials, those tribulations, those hardships, those situations that we experience in life that are disordered, those situations where we find ourselves disappointed with those around us and even at times disappointed with God himself. Disappointed as we see and experience loss of loved ones. Disappointed as we look and see there's relationships in our lives that are broken and fragmented. Relationships that are so valuable to us and they're not as they ought to be. Sometimes there's disappointment and anguish as we have physical ailments in the body. Songs and poems. How do we navigate? How do we navigate the reality of God and the experience of life. You know, the Bible opens up with a poem. Genesis, the very first chapter, is actually Hebrew poetry. In fact, one of my professors at seminary makes the case that it was probably even a song that the ancient Hebrew and Israeli people would sing as they navigated the wilderness experience. Uh, You don't see it necessarily reflected in your English translation, but in the Hebrew scriptures, the way that they divide the verses, verse 1 has exactly seven words, verse 2 has exactly 14 words, and it builds off of this heptatic structure until the final verse has 35 words to it. 
You'll notice, and even in your English translation, God speaks exactly 10 times. God said, God said on 10 occasions, a foreshadowing poetically of the 10 commandments that would be later given. You'll notice that the days have an alignment to them. So day one coordinates with day four, day two with five. Day one, God creates the day and the night. And then on day four, he creates the sun, the moon, the stars to govern the day and the night. Day two, he creates the seas and the sky. Then he creates on day five, the fish and the birds. Day three, he creates land. Day six, he creates the beasts that go on the land. And then he has his culminating creation, humanity. Hebrew poetry. But hidden in the poetry is not so much a treatise on the scientific origins of earth, but rather in the poetry, the Hebrew writers want to tell you something about the nature of God. Because in that very first verse, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. That word, formless and void, in the Hebrew is tahu vavohu, which basically means disoriented, disjointed mess. It means that it was chaotic, it was unruly, it was disorganized. It was just pure chaos. And what happens is that God shows up on the scene to this unruly, disorganized mess, and he begins to bring order to the chaos. He begins to overcome the chaos. Now, this is actually in contrast to the other creation narratives in the ancient Near East. For example, you have an ancient Babylonian narrative in which humanity is actually birthed out of war between the gods. In fact, the the drops of blood from the war become human beings. Humanity was birthed in chaos. In the Genesis narrative, God shows to the, up to the chaos and he brings order out of chaos. This speaks to the very character of our God. Our God is, in fact, a God of decency and order. God comes to bring order to the chaos, even in our lives, because that's the nature of who God is. That is intertwined into the character of our God. God cannot do anything other than bring order out of chaos. And so this morning, if you are experiencing chaos in relationships, chaos internally, if you're experiencing chaos on any level, know that the living God seeks to bring order because that is who he is by God's own nature. God doesn't bring chaos. God brings order to chaos. Now hear me, because sometimes people are going through trials like, oh, God's putting me through this. God does bring correction. And sometimes you could be so lost in your chaos that you mistake the correction of God with chaos. You know, I'm a coach, and so I have lots of conversations with young men. And a few weeks ago, I was at the, at the playing basketball at the courts, and this young guy comes up to me, and he, we just start talking. I just met him, and God's just given me a gift that people will open up to, especially young men, I guess because I'm a coach. And... He starts telling me about how he, um, he, he was dealing drugs, and he's, he's doing this, trying to make fast money, and then he got caught. And then he was like, man, and everything started going down. The police are after him. He's got this restriction, that restriction. And now his heart is actually starting to turn like, I think I need God. And he's like, I don't know why God's bringing all this chaos in my life. And I was like, wait a second, my man. 
I was like, no, 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 no. The chaos was when you were dealing fast money and doing all this stuff and living in sin. That, that was the chaos. The correction of God just brought highlighted the chaos that you are living in. That was the correction of God. My brothers and sisters, my friends, God doesn't bring chaos, but he brings order to the chaos. That's the nature of our God. Another interesting thing is that you ever notice that God does this creation work over a course of six days? Now, we know God is all-powerful. You know, God in a snap could have caused all of creation to happen all at once. I almost feel tempted to believe that God chose to do this process to say that there's times, even when we navigate chaos, that God is going to take a time and process to bring us into order. How many of you know if you, if you weren't saved when you became a Christian, a lot of things didn't necessarily shake off at once. Like over two years, all of a sudden, some new things start shaking off. Five years later, some other sins that you didn't know that was actually sin start shaking off. That's because God has a way of bringing us order throughout the entirety of our lives. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, man, my life is just disoriented and, and I feel so like I'm living, uh, like, like I'm driving a car that has gone off the hinges and, I, and it, my life is just flowing out of control, come to the Lord and know that God will work out his healing orderly process in time, in time. So that's the nature of God as we talk about the chaos and the disjointing that we experience in life. But what about us? How do we navigate this? How do we as people, broken little people, how do we navigate the disorder, the chaos, the interruptions that life brings our way? Those things that come our way that cause us to look to heaven and say, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I'm not experiencing you. How do we navigate those moments? Fortunately, in Scripture, there are many men and women who have gone through the chaos of life. There was a character by the name of Job. And if you're not familiar with Job, Job experienced massive chaos in life. In a moment, Job lost his children, he lost his wealth, and shortly after that, his health was taken from him. And then his wife said, you might as well curse God and die. Job experienced life of chaos. And I want to petition to you guys this morning is one of the first steps is to have an honest prayer life with God. An honest prayer life with God. Let's read some of the words here that Job prays to God. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a strong man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin? Though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand, your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? This is Job 
having honest prayer with God. This is not necessarily a theological assertion of what God is like, but it is accurate to how Job felt in the moment. In the moment, he felt like God had just abandoned him, that God was out to crush him. He was like, this doesn't make sense. What is going on here, God? You know that God actually never condemns Job for his honest prayers? He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't condemn him because you know why? God actually invites and encourages honest dialogue with him. Now hear me. I'm not saying that you point your finger in accusation to God. But what I am saying is that the honest prayer that you lay before God gives an intimacy and invites a work of the Spirit that's very true and honest because you've been left bare before Him. It's like a child that comes before their parent and says, this is where it hurts, this is how it hurts. Do something. Sometimes Christians, our prayers are too docile, they're too peaceful, they're too soft. We're saying it's all good when in the deep recesses of our soul, it doesn't feel good. It's a dishonest prayer. God wants the honest prayers. You know what the, the secret is? Is that in your prayer of honesty, it's actually an act of faith. Hear me. It's an act of faith. You know why? It's because when you cry to the Lord and say, God, come do something. Why haven't you acted? Why aren't you moving? Why are you leaving me in this place, in this circumstance, in this situation? What you're actually saying is, God, I know you can do something. I know that you're powerful enough to change things. It's actually an act of your faith when you offer that complaint. It's very similar to if you go to a restaurant. And you, and you have an entree, and it's prepared incorrectly. And you talk to the waiter and say, something's wrong here. Can you do something? If they can't do anything, you say, can I speak to the manager? And you offer your complaint to the manager because you believe that the manager can do something about it. When you have this real dialogue with God, what you're saying is, God, you can do something. You can do something. It's an act of faith. Honest prayers to God. Now, this has been my experience, and I've seen it in Scripture, that oftentimes, after these moments of complaint and honest dialogue to God, it has a way of inviting the word of the Lord. We see that even in Job. At the end of Job, God responds, and and God gives like the real God smackdown. Because he basically tells Job, he's like, I'm God. Get it right. And, and, and the thing is, he actually speaks to Job because Job has a change of heart because he reaffirms that he is God. Um, we see that oftentimes even in the Psalms, there's this low moment and then it goes to exaltation or the following Psalms, they lead to Psalms of praise. There's something about the honest interaction that we have with God that touches and prods our hearts and makes us more sensitive to God and makes us more receptive to him speaking. Honest prayers. You know, as I mentioned, this poem that I opened with was not simply a prop for this morning. It wasn't something that I wrote for this sermon, but it did come out of my actual journals and my dialogue, my diary about 10 years ago as I was going through a very um, jolting and disorienting time. And I was like, Lord, I have been really seeking after you, but things just aren't working out the way that I thought they should work out. They're not work. They're not going the way that I had planned or anticipated. And it was out of that that I wrote those words. And God actually spoke back to me. Like I laid my complaint and my grief to the Lord. And I felt like the Lord gave me a response. 
And I'm going to read to you what I felt the Lord impressed on my heart in that. Now, of course, God spoke to me in poetry. And so these are the words about 10 years ago that I got in response to that. Or at least the Lord impressed on my heart. My son, for a moment, stop your whining, stop your crying, and understand that any true child of mine in this life will face trials, tribulations of many kinds. But there's a truth which you must know. If a muscle is not torn and broken, how then will it grow? My son, are you not appointed? So don't be disappointed as you face the trials. I know you have fears. I've heard all your cries and I've counted every tear. But please know that just as any good father, I'm always here and I always hear. And when you go through trials, don't try to wrap your mind around that which you can't comprehend or understand, but rather trust the goodness and the kindness of my hand. For my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my child, when you pray, stop exalting the size of your pain, but rather exalt the power and the authority of my name. For in your pain, have you forgotten who I am? I am supreme. They call me Elohim. I rule from heaven and I command an angelic team. I have no equal. I have no sequel. I'm a trinity, which means I'm one, but I'm three. Check this. The winds and the waves of this life, yeah, they obey me. I have no beginning. I have no end. And yeah, you feel like you're caught in the mouth of a lion, but remember my servant Daniel, for I close the mouth of the lion in the lion's den. My nature, it's miraculous. Yes, I'm spectacular. I'm worthy of praise. I'm the ancient of days. I captivate hearts and I still amaze. I'm wonderful. I'm glorious. I never lose. I'm always victorious. Tell me who can compare with my matchless hand. I revealed it to Moses. Now I reveal it to you. I am that I am. I'm the one that brought the plagues on the Egyptian land. I'm the one that parted the Red Sea. I'm the one who heals the blind and causes even the lame to rise up. I am the one who gave man his breath. I'm the one who conquered the grave and conquered death. I'm the one who will return, cracking the sky, bringing power from on high, causing even the dead to rise. I am who I am, says the Lord of hosts. Honest prayers to God opens us up for response from God. You know, one of the most somber chapters or books in all the Bible, arguably the most somber book is the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. The book of Lamentations. I must give you some context to this book. You see, this book was written while the people of God were experiencing exile. To go historically, what that means is the forefather, the patriarch, Abraham, made a promise, or God made a promise to Abraham in which he says, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. This is my covenant to you. And so the people, after hundreds of years, finally get the land. They went through slavery. They went through years in the wilderness, but they get the land. When they get the land, God says, this is your land, but there's one condition. You must serve me. You must obey my commands. Be faithful to the covenant that I've established with you. The people of God forget all about that. 
They start to worship foreign gods. They start to act in ways that are so sinful that even the nations around them weren't as bad. We read in scripture that they even offer child sacrifices. They go so far off and God allows this foreign nation to come and take over, the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians come and they take over the people of God, they leave the people in ruin. They leave them distraught. They leave them broken and downcast. They had children that were separated from mothers. Many of the men were imprisoned or killed lest they would rise up in rebellion. They were given new names. They were forced to speak new languages. The people were broken and distraught. And then this prophetic book of Lamentations arises. Many attribute it to Jeremiah. And they write it in such a way that it's actually structured like a funeral song. It's a funeral for Jerusalem. It's a funeral for the people. And in this book, there is so much calamity that is described. Uh, He talks about how uh, these children that were once healthy um, with great skin and just full were now starving. and And the starvation was so severe that their skin was like almost like wood. He talks about how it was, it'd be better if they just had never been born or if they just, just had died uh, in that first wave of the Babylonian attack. This was the heart cry of a people that were broken. And you know what is even more t- troublesome for them is they realized that they were there because of their own sin. They were there because of their own sin. And so the book of Lamentations goes on and it describes how downcast and how hurt they are, how disoriented their world had become, how hard their life was. And they lay this bare before the Lord. But in the book of Lamentations, there's a secret. There's a secret that is put even within the literature itself, this book of poetry in which the prophet gives hope to the people. You'll notice even in your English Bible that the very first, second, fourth, and fifth chapters of Lamentation have exactly 22 verses. The third chapter, the center chapter, has 66 verses. They structure the Bible in something called an acrostic. And so what happens is you'll see that the very first verse starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, then the second verse with the second letter, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, so on and so forth. And what the writer is trying to say is that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the disorder, in the midst of the downcast um, hearts that are hearing this message, the God that we serve, the God that even brought order to the creation of all things still has an order that's going on behind the scenes. This morning, if you are experiencing the chaos of life and it feels like things are upside down and you don't know right from left and up from down, let me tell you that there's still an ordering that God is doing. When you feel like life is hitting you from so many different angles and you're not even able to make full sense of it all, there's still an ordering that God is doing behind the scenes. God is a God that brings order to the chaos. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. In this book that's five chapters long, that's filled with so much information and 
news of destruction and desolation, at the dead center, we read these words. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Right at the center of the book, there's five chapters. This comes from chapter three, the middle of the chapter. We see the compassion and the love of God. The only verse, the only couple of verses that give hope in the chapter, in the book, is talks about the compassion and the love of God. Hear me, my friends. As you go through these situations of disorientation and things that you would call disorderly or chaotic, know that the love and the compassion of God remains. God can't be anything other than loving and compassionate. That's just who he is. He runs to show love and compassion. Think of the story of the prodigal son, this son that was so far off, was lost in sin, lost in all these, these, these debaucherous activities. When he starts to come home, the father sees him from a long way off and runs to him because that's the nature of Father God, to run to show love. Even when we're lost in the chaos of our own sin, he comes to show love and compassion. That's our God. And so I want you to remember that we must trust the character of God. We must be able to trust the character of God through these situations. Because while you might not be able to wrap your mind around all of his ways, you must be able to link your heart to his heart and know that he is still loving and he is still compassionate. One of the most famous verses in all scripture emerges in a similar context. Almost all of you in this room will probably be familiar with this verse. Some of you have it etched in your house. Some of you have seen it on bumper stickers. Jeremiah 29, 11, in which God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We know this verse, but how many of you know that this verse was declared in the same context that I just now described, when the people were broken, when the people were facing exile, when the people were just downcast and distraught? It's out of that context that the prophet speaks these words that he know that God has plans to give hope and a future. I want to tell you that if you find yourself in a place of disorientation and you don't know what's going on and you resonate with the Psalms where David would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Know this, that the Lord still has plans to give you a hope and he still has plans to give you a future because he always has a heart of compassion for his children. He always has. And so when we hear these words, understand that we must rest in the promise of God. He's not done yet. You have breath in your lungs. He's not done yet. He still has a plan for destiny for you. He still has a mission for you. He is still seeking to use you. And there's only that one condition that comes right after those words in Jeremiah where it says, and they will seek me with all of their heart. This morning, are you prepared to seek the living God with all of your 
your heart to come back to him? Are you prepared for that? Is that the longing that you have in the midst of chaos? If that is not the longing, I would encourage you in your prayers of honesty, ask the Lord to give me a heart that wants to seek after you again, that wants to spend time with you. Don't fall prey to the trick of the enemy, which just happens when we get into hard times. We want to isolate from God. We're not on talking terms with God. That is a trick and a lie of the enemy. That's what it means when we say, Satan is like a lion. You know how lions attack? They look for the stray and they circle and they attack. Don't become a stray. No, stay connected with your God. Trust in his promises because the promises of God still remain as yes and amen, meaning they shall be such. Yes and amen are the promises of God for your life, the promises that he's spoken through scripture, the promises that he he has made evident through the course of your life, the promises of God remain no matter how chaotic things get no matter how far from God you feel like you've been turn your heart back to God and he will restore for the living God knows the plans that he has for you to give you a hope and a future somebody say amen this morning as As I close, I want to pray for some of you. I want to pray for some of you. I know that in a room such as this, that there are some of you right now, you're in that place of disorientation. You're in that place where you're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you at work? What are you saying? What are you speaking? How are you moving? You're asking why. For whatever number of reasons, the chaos that we experience has many levels and it has many different aspects that it hits different people. But this morning, some of you are like, that's where I'm at. For some of you, this morning when you heard those opening words, you're like, yes. For some of you, when you heard and read the prayer of Job, you're like, yes. You're like, this thing is upside down and I need God. If that is you, whether that's one of you, or a handful of you, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I want to pray for you. If that's you, where you're like, this world and my experience right now is chaotic. Amen. 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 The living God's going to move. For those around, just extend your hands to the people that are standing. You know, one of the things that is interspersed throughout the Bible is that we don't walk through these things alone. But there's power in community. God works through the body of Christ. And so for those standing, I'm going to pray. And those around, you're going to agree with me in prayer for those who are standing right now. Most high God, I just thank you for your sons and your daughters right now in this moment, Lord God. Lord God, you know the cries of their heart, Lord God. You know the prayers that have been spoken and those prayers which are unspoken. You know the deep longings, the deep hurts, Lord God, they experience. You know their disappointments, Lord God. I pray right now that you would give them an experience with yourself, Lord God, where they would hear and experience you in a very real way, Lord God, as they navigate this season. I pray, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would be the God of comfort, that you would be the God of peace. I pray that you would restore, Lord God, any feelings of hopelessness, restore to hope, Lord God. Speak truth to them where there are lies. Speak restoration to any area of loss. 
We agree as a community that you are the living God. We agree as a community that we press in to seek your face with the fullness of our heart. I pray against guilt and shame now in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us a heart, Lord God, that is linked up with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and our Lord of lords. Amen. 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 If any of you need additional prayer, we do have a prayer team to my right that will pray with you. But I want to just leave you with these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.